Well, good morning again, and happy Mother's Day to you again. Um, as I was thinking through this, this week and um, what Mother's Day represents, I couldn't help but think to myself, Mother's Day has got to be the best holiday of the year. Um, because, you know, as I was thinking through the different holidays, uh, and you consider Christmas, what in the world would Christmas look like if it were left up to the dads? Um, honestly, there, I can't tell you how many times, year after year, uh, my kids are they're opening their presents on Christmas morning, um, and it's a really cool gift, and Julie's nodding her head, and, and, and they're just like, and I'm, I'm, I see it, and I'm like, oh man, that is, that is really cool. Who got that for you? And they're like, you and mom. <laughs> like, uh, oh yeah, that's right. You're welcome, kid. So open another one. Um, think, about, think about Easter. If it were left up to dads, no one would get Easter eggs. I'm convinced. Either we just wouldn't do it, um, or if it, were, if it were me, I would, I would hide the eggs so hard they couldn't find it. And so many dads are just like, yes, I have to restrain myself at the, at the Easter egg hunt. I'm just like, can we not just like just really throw them into the woods in the deep uh, deep part of the woods, or just imagine the carnage that would take place on 4th of July if moms were not involved. So it's because of moms we have fun and we have safety, and that today most of us can um, give mom a thumbs up instead of not having a thumb because we blew it off on 4th of July. Um, so moms, we thank you. You make everything better, and you make everything safer. And, and with that, before we go into the, the message, I would like to just recognize moms. So if you're a mother this morning, would you, would you please just stand up so we can just recognize you guys? And uh, yeah, thank you so much. Um, and also, I, I, I would, before we move Further, I'd also like to just thank you guys as the church for your support last week at the barbecue fundraiser. Um, it was, it was uh, sh- not sh- shocking because we, we knew you had it in you and that you would come out. But we raised over $5,000 for our mission trip to Honduras. Yeah. Huge. And, and, um, and I'm so thankful for the ladies doing the rummage sale. And that's going to be an incredible fundraiser as well. The support we feel from the church and the student ministry um, is, is amazing. Um, and so we, we thank you so much for that. Uh, this morning, the sermon that, that uh, we have is, is titled, Entrusted with the Message of Reconciliation. And I think this is an appropriate subject for Mother's Day because no one will have a greater impact, spiritual impact on a person's life than a mother who's dedicated to the gospel. Mothers who are, who are committed to this gospel message with their children will impact their lives. And so we're going to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 and 19. Paul's writing to the church at Corinth, and uh, the integrity of their faith is in jeopardy. He's written four chapters to this point to a uh, kind of a dysfunctional church dealing with some sin issues and some false teaching and and he, he kind of takes a moment at the end of chapter 5 right here to reiterate what we have received from our Lord. And that's the, that's the ministry of reconciliation. I will read um, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
18 and 19, which says, Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Let's pray. Fathers, we approach your word um, and think through this text. As we praise you for the salvation that you have obtained for us through Christ and have given it to us free of charge, only by your grace through our faith, as we receive that, may we also receive the stewardship and responsibility of the message of the gospel as, as good stewards, <clears throat> faithful with your truth. So Lord, as we open your word, Lord, help us to uh, discern your word well and, and apply it to our hearts and let it change our behavior. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The beginning of verse 18 <clears throat> says, Now all things are of God. God is the owner of this ministry that we're talking about this morning. He's not only the owner, he's also the energizer. Therefore, he has the right to give or to commit and, or to entrust this ministry to someone else. So when did this transfer happen? When did this gifting of this ministry happen from God to us? And what is God's role this morning? That's what we're going to be talking about. So acknowledging that all things are of God, literally that God is the creator and owner of all things, solidifies anything that's being received by him. This concept is what gives believers such confidence in our salvation. Since God is the creator and the originator of our salvation, believers can have a rock-solid confidence that our salvation can't be lost, can't be repossessed, and it can't be changed. In other words, our salvation is as unchangeable as God himself. Not only is our salvation unchanging, but all the benefits and the promises gained through our salvation are equally as unchanging. So you have salvation and you have the promises and the benefits of salvation. They are equally unchanging. For instance, the promise of the presence of Christ wherever we go. After commanding his followers to make disciples of all nations after his resurrection, Jesus promised them this, this sweet uh, covenant, saying, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age. What's another concept? What's another promise that we hold dear to ourselves, that we, that we grasp a hold of as believers in Christ? How about eternal life in Christ? Let's recite this next promise together. So, John 3.16, many of us learned it in Awanas growing up, or uh, our parents taught it to us, or uh, we've, we've learned it in church. But what a sweet promise at the end of this verse that we will have an everlasting life. Let's recite it together, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is the promise of everlasting life with Christ in heaven, and we hold it dear. Guys, we cling to this in those difficult moments, don't we? It's our, it's our rock, this promise, this hope. 
What about 1 John 5.11? It shows this as well. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. The point is, we hold these promises as the bedrock of our faith because all things are of God. God is the great possessor of all things. Therefore, when he gives a gift like salvation or like the promise of, his, of the presence of his son or the promise of a, eternal life with him, we take him at his word. This demonstrates that the thing given is only as secure as the giver. So this reminds me, as I was thinking through this passage, this reminds me of when I gave Julie, my wife, her engagement ring. So I was barely 21. She was barely 19. We were broke. We were in love. And we wanted to get married. I think at the time we were both working at Slopes uh, Barbecue, her parents' restaurant. We were working at Hide and Seek Day Camp. And I had never purchased anything as expensive as a ring in my life. Not even close. But I saved up enough money and um, worked and saved and worked and saved. And then I bought her this sweet little nice ring um, and, and gave it to her. Um, and um, if you ask her where it is now, she'll say, I have no idea because I've upgraded her already. But <laughs> uh, actually twice because um, that first ring was, um, it was sweet, but it was, it was tiny. Um, but the point is, I saved up. I didn't pay with a loan or with a credit card. Um, and, and how secure would that have felt if I had paid for that ring without cash, with, with a credit card, with a loan? Or think about it this way. What if you, um, what if you walk into the Chick-fil-A down the road and um, you order your food and the teenager behind the desk is like, hey man, I got you. Here's your food. It's free. You're going to be like, mm, okay, all right. I'm not sure how I feel about this. Not sure if this is stealing or not. But what if the owner, what if Kevin Williams comes and he, he hands you your meal and he says, this is on the house. Then you're like, wow, this is truly free. The thing given is only as secure as the giver. The owner of the Chick-fil-A has the authority to give the free food. But as, as believers in Christ, we, we must remember that Christ is always with us and that our eternal life is secure. We relish these truths. We memorize these scriptures. We're constantly referencing these verses and sharing them with others. As we should. But let's not forget what else God has given us. He's given us this great salvation. He's given us these wonderful promises. These wonderful truths that we hold dear. But he's also given us this ministry of reconciliation. It's equally as important that we receive the promises that we hold dear. As it is the ministry of reconciliation. That sometimes we might not think about too much. Let's look back at verses 18 and 19. So now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. The way Paul pairs these two verses together is brilliant. First, he reminds us, us of our own reconciliation, but then at the same time, he instructs us to be agents of reconciliation. Verse 18 says, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ. Reconciliation is the establishment or the, 
the establishment or restoration of loving fellowship after an estrangement. The word estrangement doesn't fully capture the status of people um, apart from Christ to God, does it? Compare how Scripture describes the unredeemed, those who are apart from Christ. Scripture describes them as dead in their trespasses and sins. As children of the devil. As alienated and enemies in our minds by wicked works. As haters of God. This list is not meant to just have shock value or to be dramatic. To fully grasp the depth of our reconciliation, we must first understand the level of our separation. Without Christ, we are more than just estranged from God. We're enemies of God. As enemies of God, how did this reconciliation take place? Did God neglect his his perfect justice? Did he lay aside his perfect justice and let this injustice into his perfect kingdom? Did God just give a... Did he just give in to sinful, rebellious humanity? Well, okay, just giving in? No, he put forth his sinless, eternal son, who the scripture says is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power. This son, our Lord, God has laid on him the iniquity of us all. And so he didn't didn't sidestep his perfect justice or righteousness by redeeming sinful, lost Children of Satan, dead in sins. No, he, he put it on Christ. He laid it on him. By doing so, God's justice is not compromised because the sins of man were not dismissed. They were not excused. They were imputed to another. That's the message of verse 19. Verse 19 says that is that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself not imputing their trespasses to them. God put forth Christ as the only suitable reconciling agent between God and man. God would be fully righteous if he laid on us, if he imputed into us the guilt of our sin. But in his grace, he transferred our guilt on to Christ. Now, this was a concept that would have been well known to the Jews of that day. They were raised in this tradition of of imputation, the sin sacrifice. Adam and Eve disobeyed God and they ate the fruit. At that moment, they became aware of their nakedness. They hid from God. God came in. He saw them. They they continued to hide from them. But what did God do? He, He killed an animal to cover their nakedness. This was the first This was the first example of a sin substitute in Scripture. Then throughout the Old Testament, before the priest would sacrifice a bull or goat, they would would place their hands on the animal's head, signifying all the guilt and all the sin of Israel into that animal. And then they would sacrifice the animal, and that animal would become the sin substitute. But then what? The perfect substitute came. God himself in Christ. The great I am. He offered himself as an eternal sacrifice and substitute for our sins. So this message brings up the question, what is the natural response to so great a pardon? If we were so separated and God made such a huge sacrifice, 
what is our response? How do we, um, how do we take the next step? What does this truth compel us to do this morning? Well, does it not compel us to share these incredible truths with everyone we know? In other words, if verse 17 has happened to you, then verse 20 will be your natural response. In verse 10, it says, verse 17, it says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. If you've been made a new creation, your love for Christ will compel you into the ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador of Christ. And verse 20, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were pleading through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. So in verse 17, you're made a new creation. You go from a hater of God to a lover of God, a child of Satan to a child of God. And then verse, you see verse 20 and you're like, wow, I am a, an ambassador now. I've not only received a new nature and a, I'm, I'm a new creation, I've received a, a new mission. A new stewardship. And that stewardship cannot be separated from the gift of salvation that I just received. And that stewardship is the stewardship as an ambassador of the message of reconciliation. But this position as an ambassador, it's so much more exhilarating than the typical ambassador. A typical ambassador is a representative with, it's, it's a me- representative with a message of, of a person outside themselves. But we are ambassadors with the message of a person who lives within us. That's why verse 20 says, God is pleading through us. If you've been made new in Christ, God has gifted you his presence, the Holy Spirit who lives in you. He pleads through you to the world to be reconciled to God. So we've seen how We're new creations with a new responsibility as ambassadors of Christ, carrying a new message of reconciliation. So let's examine what it means to be entrusted with the message of reconciliation. First, verse 18 says, God has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and given us the ministry of reconciliation. So in the first part of verse 18, Christ is the minister of reconciliation. Christ came. He made the first step. He preached the gospel, the kingdom of God. He showed us how to be reconciled under the new covenant that he was bringing. But by the end of verse 18, the responsibility of the ministry is transferred to whom? To believers. This doesn't mean that people are given the power to say that will always remain only the power of Christ. However, as Christ ascended to the Father, he transferred the responsibility of the proclamation of the gospel from himself to his followers. This is seen in John 14, 12, which says, Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also. And greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. How is it possible that Christ can say that humans will do greater works than God himself incarnate? Well, I think, um, I think MacArthur answers this question well. He says, Jesus didn't mean greater works in power, but in extent. They would become witnesses to all the world through the power of the indwelling and infinite infilling of the Holy Spirit and would bring many to salvation because the Comforter dwelling within them. 
So because Jesus transferred the responsibility of the gospel message to his followers, the extent of their fruit would exceed his earthly fruit. In other words, Christ set in motion a multiplying effect of the gospel that would go well beyond Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. And as far as extent goes, we are his representatives multiplying and spreading that message and fulfilling what he said here. That we would do greater works than him. Next verse 19 describes the transference similarly, but slightly different. Instead of the message of reconciliation being given to us, 19 says it's been committed or entrusted to us. Paul describes this gospel entrustment in 1 Corinthians 9, 16, and 17. He says, For if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of. For necessity is laid upon me. Yes, woe is me if I do not preach the gospel. For if I, preach, for if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. When I read this verse for the very first time 10 years ago, um, as a, a guy in my early 20s, I can just remember putting my head um, down on my desk and just pleading with the Lord to make this a reality in my life. How does Paul describe the stewardship of the gospel? He describes it as a necessity that's laid upon him. He says, for if I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast of, for necessity is laid upon me. The word necessity literally means a constraint or a compulsion, or a force, or even violence. Paul's need to preach the gospel could be described as a violent compulsion, thrusting him into the ministry of reconciliation. Guys, as believers in Christ, we have received these promises, but we should also feel this necessity, this discomfort when we're silent. Notice what Paul says in verse 17. Of 1 Corinthians 9. For if I do this willingly, I have a reward. But if against my will, I have been entrusted with a stewardship. Paul mentions two attitudes towards the ministry of reconciliation in this verse. So the first is a willing attitude. This literally means gladly or voluntarily or eagerly. So what he's saying is, is if I do this willingly, if, I, if this necessity that I feel laid upon me, if I go about preaching the gospel and if I do it willingly... It's kind of like, it's something I enjoy. It's kind of like a pastime. It's a pleasure. It's not burdensome to me. But if against my will, against my will, that's the second attitude, this could mean reluctantly or resentfully. If it's against our will, we've been entrusted with a stewardship. Paul is simply stating that sometimes it was a joy and a pleasure to preach, and he calls it a reward. Other times he may not be so enthusiastic to preach, but that will not cause him to stop since he was entrusted with a stewardship. As we think through this text this morning, let's remember, if you've been made a new creation, your love for Christ will compel you into the ministry of reconciliation as an ambassador of Christ. And we've seen how uh, Paul describes the ministry as both given and committed to us. So what do we do with this understanding? How do we take, take the ne next steps of obedience? Um, as we read the word, 
and, and we don't gloss over it, and we want to consider it, we want it to change our steps, we want it to change our ways, what do we do? Well, first, I think that we must know the message. We must really know the message. In 2 Timothy, Paul urges Timothy to know the message of reconciliation well. He says in 2 Timothy 4, 13 through 16, Till I come, give attention to reading, to exhortation, to doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you by prophecy with the laying on of hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourselves entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them. For in doing this, you will save both yourselves and those who hear you. As believers, the message of reconciliation, the gospel, isn't something we should just look back to that, that we trusted in at our salvation, but it's a message that we should presently give attention to, that we should meditate on, that we should give ourselves entirely to, that we should take heed and always continue in. Guys, let us, let us give ourselves entirely to Christ in his word as a living sacrifice. And the message of reconciliation will be known. What changes do we need to make? What is, what is your plan, as we think through these, these scriptures, what is your plan for making your Bible study effective for this? Well, one practical suggestion is, as you read, you can journal your favorite gospel-centered verses and then memorize them one at a time. So uh, here at the church, we have the replicate ministries. It's our D groups. We read the scriptures. We journal what we see, and then we make highlights. We come together, and we, uh, and we discuss it in small groups. If you're not a part of one, uh, I highly recommend getting connected. You can contact Jason or me or uh, Veldon. We'll be happy to get you connected. But journaling scripture, as you come across a verse that you can, you can imagine, you can imagine using it in a particular conversation with a particular person, or maybe it's a verse that really speaks to you, or maybe it's a verse that's really uh, memorable, or you can memorize it easy. Jot it down and commit to memorizing it. This morning we quoted John 3.16. That is the gospel. You can share the, the, the gospel with John 3.16 as your outline. Starting with God, sending His Son, we don't perish, we have eternal life through Christ. What's another, uh, another uh, or excuse me, another practical uh, verse uh, is one I memorized, I memorized this uh, years ago. It just struck me all of a sudden. I wrote it down and I committed it to memory and I've used it as I was sharing the gospel with someone um, really multiple times over the years. First John 2, 3 through 6 says, Now by this we know that we know him, if we keep his commandments. He who says he knows him ought himself also keep his commandments. Whoever keeps his word, truly the word of God is perfected in him. By this we know that we know him. We know that we know him when we keep his commandments. And so when you're sharing the gospel with someone, uh, and, and you go through John 3, 16 maybe, and you, and you hit that and you're like, I'm saved, brother. I remember walking the aisle. I remember praying a prayer. My daddy was a preacher. My, my great-great-granddaddy was a preacher. I've heard that. But you know that their life doesn't show that they become a verse 17 Christian, right? New creation. Because you can't see the new creation in them. Take them a step further and say, look, I love you. 
And I want you to know that the Bible says if you are a new creation, A, all things will become new, and you will walk just as Christ walked. Yeah, you're going to sin, but you're going to get on your face, and you're going to beg for forgiveness, and Christ is going to forgive you, and then you're going to walk in his ways. So memorize some scriptures, and you can pull them out when you need them. Next, another aspect of being a messenger of reconciliation is that we must be faithful with the message. In 1 Corinthians, Paul described the entrustment of the gospel as a stewardship. 1 Corinthians 4.1 says, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in servants that one be found faithful. A, a, a steward was a servant who was entrusted to manage the belongings of their master. You've received the gospel. I've received the gospel at our salvation. But have we received the, the message, the stewardship of the gospel? In God's eyes, there's no separation between receiving the gospel and receiving the stewardship of the gospel. Next and last, we must honor the message. Philippians 1.27 says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. As stewards of the gospel... Our conduct has the power to either strengthen or diminish the message of reconciliation. Does your attitude, does your behavior, does your spending habits, your words, your mindset, do your pursuits and your priorities, the way you spend your time, do they strengthen or do they weaken your ministry as a reconciler? Strive to live in the humility and the integrity of Christ for the sake of the message in which we're entrusted. So church, as we've been made a new creation in our love for Christ, it will compel us into the ministry of reconciliation as ambassadors of Christ. Let us receive this ministry as we've received our salvation and we hold dear to it. Even this morning, may we recommit ourselves to receiving the ministry of reconciliation, the carrying the word of the gospel to people who were like us before Christ stepped in. Let's pray.